My name is Nate. I serve here as a husband, dad, and one of your pastors alongside and under our lead pastor, Larry Riley, who's at Palmyra this morning, and uh, grateful to be with you. We're in John chapter 8. If you have a physical copy of God's Word or your phone, you can turn there. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We're talking about friendship this morning. As a disclaimer, John chapter 8 is not about friendship. It's actually about the person, the work, the mission of Jesus and how the religious leaders hated him. And Jesus came to seek and to save and to serve and to love and to die for those that were lost and understand they're lost. And um, they're trying to catch him in a trap. But I think there's some principles, some truths that we can glean from the text that are appropriate. It would be an implication. An implication is, is something that's not the intent of the author that wrote down a particular passage, but we can glean from it and it's still consistent with the thrust of the passage. And an example would be John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It's not about evangelism. That verse is not about evangelism. It's about the magnanimous nature of God, how God loves the world in this way. And therefore, an implication would be, let's go tell people about it. So we're going to draw some implications from John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, and I'll be in Proverbs as well. But here's a, here's a prayer that was prayed by an individual. Maybe you've prayed a prayer like this. Probably not. This is at a real small group in a real house that was connected to a real church in Nashville. And here's the prayer that this man prayed. God, protect us from the Klingons. God, I really want a Jolly Rancher right now. Will you please bring us some Jolly Ranchers? God, please move my banana to the doghouse. Now, I don't really know what that means. I have no idea. And this was prayed by a man who came to a small group. He was drunk. He and his wife came. They were guests, first-time guests. I like the word guests rather than visitors. They were a guest at a group, at a real small group, at a real house, facilitated by the lead pastor of this particular church. And as they came in, the pastor said, hey, who would like to pray? And the individual, the man said, uh, who was drunk, clearly drunk, said, I'll pray. And he prayed about Jolly Rangers, Klingons, and Bananas. And when, it got, when he said, amen, everybody looked to the pastor to see what he would do, and he looked back at them, and they immediately went over to her because the wife had this look of, help me on my face. Like, help me, things are not going well. And then people flocked to the husband just to encourage and love on him, give him something to eat. And rather than ostracizing him, rather than saying, I can't believe that you would show up at a small group drunk, the audacity for you to be who you are in private and public is shameful. Rather than doing that, they just were a friend to this man and this woman. Where do, you, where do you learn that type of interaction? Where do you learn to love people and be compassionate and be kind and engage with people? Well, I think we learn it from the person and the work of Jesus. So this morning, we're walking through our second series in Real Relationships, Relationship Series. And this morning, we're in Friendship. And if you're physically able to, if you will stand with me, let's read God's Word together. And... Uh, the Bible calls us to, to read, to publicly read God's Word. So let's read this together. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say, Jesus? They said this to test him, 
that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is God's word to you and to me. May God bless the preaching, the teaching, and the hearing of it. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, I pray as we have heard the Bible, as as I preach it to my own heart and to those that are here this morning, may you give us grace and mercy to hear and to believe and do the truth of Scripture as we talk about friendship, a topic that is vitally important for the state of our souls. If we are going to be the men, women, boys, and girls that you've called us to be, we desperately need men and women in our life that will encourage, challenge, confront, challenge, uh, exhort us, refresh us, walk with us. So, Father, would you help us to Be mindful of the friendship that we see in the Bible that's rooted in the person and the work of Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So what I want to do this morning, I want to to give you um, several truths that we see in John chapter 8 about to be a friend is to do this. They give you several characteristics of friendship and then to walk through and explain the power to do friendship because this is not a sermon basically where I'm going to commend and exhort you to be a better friend, though I am going to do that because you can get that type of sermon anywhere else and you can even get that type of sermon not in a church and in various books, how to be a friend and how to um, receive friendship and be a friend. But that's not really the point. The point is to point our hearts and minds to the one who was a friend to us so that we can actually be the type of friends that God's created us to be. So three things I want you to see real quickly. To be a friend first is to be loving and not condemning. To be a friend is to be loving and not condemning. And so let me just real quickly walk through this story again. We have become pretty familiar with maybe this particular passage. You've been in church. And and the Bible tells us that this woman is caught in the act of adultery. Now, we, we gloss over the Bible, and sometimes we read the Bible and devoid of emotions. The Bible was written by God or man? Yes. Right? Right? God providentially used over 40 different authors, over three different continents, over 2,000 years to tell one main story. It's a pretty awesome book, isn't it? And so God wrote the Bible, man wrote the Bible, and so we have God's word to us, and and, and sometimes we read the Bible devoid of emotional attachment because we become familiar with it. Well, the Bible says this woman is caught in the act of adultery. Now, there's some young kids in here. She's caught in the act of adultery. Now, some of you have had spouses or friends that have committed adultery. I don't know if a lot of us have caught people in the act. That's big. She's caught in the act of adultery, and they drag her, not compassionately, right? You can't drag anybody like in a nice fashion. They drag her, and they throw her at the feet of Jesus, and they say, Jesus, trying to catch her because the man was off the hook. They they really weren't seeking justice because if not, they would have brought them both there, but they wanted to trap Jesus. They weren't concerned about what was right. And the law tells us to stone this woman. Now, you probably know what a stoning is. Stone involves stone, but here's, here's what they would do. They would actually bring a person on the edge of a cliff, and they would stand at the edge of a cliff, and they would pick up 
rocks about this size, not big boulders, because you can't pick up big boulders like that. Only like Ryan Brown can pick up really big boulders like that, or little, you know, rocks like this, and not little pebbles. And you would stand on the edge of a cliff, and they would throw rocks at you, and then you would fall over, hopefully not to your death. And they would look down at you, and they would begin to pelt you with rocks. Okay, so you, are you getting kind of the feel of what they want Jesus to say and give approval to? They want to stone this woman. And Jesus says, uh, He who is without sin cast the first stone. And what happens? Who begins to leave? Like the older ones, because when you're young, you really don't know the ways of the world, right? When you're young, you're really not wise. So if you're young, you're a high school student, middle school student, you're not wise, okay? You're not. You're going to learn, and you need to grow, and you need to be wise and come under authority. But as you get older, like, I don't know, 39, I'm 39, you get a little more wise. Just kidding, I'm not old. But you get a little more wise when you're older, and you begin to understand, wow, I'm not without sin. And this is really fascinating. This is Nathan Milliken in, you know, projecting what I think was going on in John 8. He kneeled down, and he began to write in the ground. What did he write? I think he was writing down all the girlfriends of the religious leaders. I think he was writing down secret sins of the people who wanted to stone this woman. Now, I don't know, but I just, you know, Jesus did have a sense of humor, and whatever he was writing shut the mouths of the people that were there. And the older ones begin to leave, and then Pretty soon thereafter, no one's there. And Jesus says, where are your condemners? They've left. Neither I condemn you. And yet, that's not quite the full story, right? So to be a friend is to be loving, not condemning. You showed her love. Love is action-oriented. Love is never passive. If you say you love somebody and you're not engaged in that person's life, you're not loving. Love is action-oriented. It has movement, traction to it. To be loving is to be a friend is to be loving, not condemning. John Stott, a theologian, pastor, author, said this. Nothing shuts the mouth, seals the lips, and ties the tongue like the secret property of our own spiritual experience. What's he saying? When you know you've got junk in your life, the first inclination in your heart when you see somebody not doing well and not doing what they're supposed to be doing, the first thing is not to throw a word of condemnation because you look inwardly. Right? To be a friend, and just as a disclaimer, I don't think you can be a friend to everybody. We want to be friendly, but you can't be a friend to everybody. But you've got some people in your concentric circle that God's providentially placed in your life, and God calls you to be a friend to them. So to be a friend is to be loving, not condemning. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But when you understand that Jesus has brought healing to your life, that there is no shame and there is no guilt. You're, you're freed, you're accepted, and you're loved, and you've been rescued. It frees you up to give the benefit of the doubt and to catch people doing good rather than catch people doing bad. To be a friend is to be loving, not condemning. To be a friend is to be truthful, not insincere. To be a friend is to be truthful, not insincere. A friend is someone who is a truth teller. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Or faithful are the wounds of a friend. What does the metaphor of friendly wounds or faithful wounds mean? It means that your friend needs to hear things that are going to be painful to hear. But because they are a friend, they're faithful wounds, right, from a friend. 
Covering the truth out of love is not the work of a friend, it's the work of an enemy. Have you ever said, maybe out loud or in the quietness of your heart, I just love that person too much to tell them that. I don't want to say that to them because it's going to make our relationship awkward and they might not be receptive to what I have to say. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold it close because I just want to engage in this superficial relationship. To be a friend is to be loving and not insincere. To be truthful, open love is friendship. Hidden love is the work of an enemy. When you're not honest, when you're not truthful, you're setting up people for disaster because my wisdom is always skewed and my perspective is always limited. Nathan Milliken does not have a monopoly on wisdom and he doesn't see the world perfectly. I need men and women in my life. I need friends who will say, Nate, your wisdom on this is skewed. Your perspective is limited. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. To be a friend is to be truthful, not insincere. Repression is not helpful. Hiddenness is not helpful. Openness is not only helpful, it's biblical and expected. Part of the reason some of us wander off and bring destruction upon our lives and the people around us is that we don't have good friends in our lives that will say, don't do that, you idiot, in the name of Jesus in a loving way. Don't go there. Why, why, would you, why would you pursue that? That's not good for your soul. To be a friend is to be truthful, not insincere. And then thirdly, I'll talk more about this here in just a moment, because Jesus was this. To be a friend is to be vulnerable or not invulnerable. This is kind of a, a thing that I, I think a lot about. I, I think as Christians or as religious folks, we, we get really good at this. We are really good at when people ask how we're doing, uh, we say, I'm doing well. I'm doing good. And I have gotten to the practice, and some of our students and adults have avoided me, because when they say, I'm doing well, which is the proper English response, not doing good, I'm doing well, I'll say, well, why? What do you mean? I'll say, well, you told me you're doing well. Why, why are you doing well? Well, I, I don't know. I just, I, just, I just am. I'm like, okay, well, think about a better answer next time. You know, like, how are you doing? And what we do as Christians is that we lean into this spirit of not being vulnerable, not being transparent. Now, I do not think, and I'm not advocating, that anytime somebody asks you, like, you give them the long list of all the things that are going on. But for your friends, the people that you regularly interact with, the people that you have a rhythm of life with, when they say, how are you doing, to be a friend is to be vulnerable and, and to receive vulnerability. We have become very good at not telling people about what's really going on until things are about to burn and crash and die. And we need to be vulnerable with one another. Where else should we be vulnerable other than the church? Jesus has freed us, forgiven us. There is no shame and guilt for a believer. So we are free to actually be real with each other, to be transparent, to be vulnerable. C.S. Lewis, in one of his many books, says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. To be a friend is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. 
wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, but in that casket safe, dark, motionless, and safe, and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Biblical friendship is vulnerable, honest, loving, costly, and risky at times. To be a friend is to be loving, not condemning. To be a friend is to be truthful, not insincere. To be a friend is to be vulnerable, not invulnerable. Let me give you several more characteristics that we see in the book of Proverbs. You have these on the app, and they'll be on the screens as well. Biblical friendship exemplifies these and many, many more. But consistency, carefulness, and counsel. Biblical friendship exemplifies consistency, carefulness, or counsel. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Chapter 18, verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend loves at all times. It doesn't mean that you're with this person all the time. A brother or sister is born for adversity, and what Solomon is saying to his son, trying to help him navigate throughout life and to be wise and successful in life, he's saying, listen, there are friends that are with you at all times. A brother is born for adversity, right? Your family doesn't get a choice to be connected to you. They're just stuck with me, right? But a friend voluntarily chooses to be part of your life. A friend loves at all times, meaning it's all types of times, difficult times, Easy times, they're they're through thick and thin in order to help you through what's going on in your life. It means that you can't be a good friend without availability, but letting people into your life. Being there as a friend means that you're going to be present and not let that person go to ruin. They're going to go to battle with you. Call me if you need anything. No, you're actually proactive. I want to be part of your life. I'm not going to let you fail. We're going to do this together. To be a friend is to be consistent, consistently part of each other's lives. That when they do things that are stupid and sinful, you don't just say, you know, I'm just so tired. And we see this rooted in the person of Jesus. Jesus does not look at us when we screw up for the millionth time and say, you know, I've really had it with you. Aren't you grateful for that truth? Have you sinned this past week? Have you screwed up? Have you said something, done something, gone somewhere you shouldn't, thought something? Jesus doesn't doesn't look at us like an angry parent and dismiss his kids. He loves you. He loves me, and he's consistent. Secondly, biblical friendship exemplifies uh, carefulness. Proverbs 25, verse 20 says this, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Nate, what in the world does that mean? 26, 18 through 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands and arrows and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Or 27, verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning will be counted as a cursing. Why does a man or a woman who loudly, loudly blesses his neighbor in the, in the morning, why is that considered a, a cursing? Why does a man deceive his neighbor and then say, I was only joking? Why are these verses that speak to friendship? And why about this truth called carefulness? 
a biblical characteristic of friendship is to be careful. Here's why. To sing a song of praise in the morning to your friend, here's why it's not considered a blessing but a cursing. Because you are emotionally disconnected from that person. You don't understand. They ain't a morning person. That's what Solomon is saying. I mean, the Bible is just so practical in so many ways. And so I've learned this in my marriage. My wife does not like mornings at all, at all. And so early on in our marriage, I would do things like, let's talk about weaknesses in our marriage. Let's do finances in the morning. Let's talk about what we're reading in the Bible Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's sing a song of praise to Jesus at 7 a.m. She's like, no. Why? I was emotionally disconnected and I was not careful with my wife's soul. If we're exemplifying a characteristic of carefulness, we will know the inner topography of someone's heart. Here's what I mean by that. If they just got a diagnosis on a particular ailment, if they just had a tragedy, it's probably not the best time to quote Romans 8, 28. I just want to tell you, God's going to work this for his good. Is that true? It is true. It's a promise. But we want to be careful with people's lives. We don't want to be reckless with their lives. Removing a garment certainly doesn't help warm a cold person, as Solomon writes, just like vinegar reacts violently when mixed with soda. Happiness can seem to aggravate a troubled, sorrowful heart, right? Do you know the people? Please don't nudge them and please don't point them out. But do you know the people? That it doesn't matter what's going on. Um, you can have sorrow and hardship, but they're always like, life is great and it is awesome. Everything is awesome, right? You know those people? At times, that's being ungodly. Because the Bible says there's a time to listen, there's a time to cry, there's a time to hug, there's a time to weep, there's a time to laugh, and sometimes what you need is not my words and not my joy, you just need me to hug you and be present. Biblical friendship is careful with one another. It means that if I'm a friend to you when you're sad, what am I? I'm sad. When you're happy, I'm happy. So it's not just when you're sad. Like when you're excited about what God's doing, you got that promotion, you've had some favor, a great decision. I don't want to say, yeah, but uh, the world's broken and sinful. Did you watch the news? Like, well, yeah, just don't be such a Debbie Downer. Like, can you just like in this moment, like celebrate with me? I really can't. They're not being a good friend. We want to be careful. When you're happy, I'm happy. When you're sad, I'm sad. We do this, as I've mentioned before, with our kids or our grandkids, Right? When your kids go through things and your grandkids go through things and they're having a difficult time or they're excited, don't you voluntarily have that same emotional feeling? That's what Solomon is writing about. Biblical friendship is careful. Biblical friendship gives counsel. 27 verse 5 through 6, we've already, we've already quoted this, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of of an enemy, verse 9 in chapter 27, oil and perfume make their heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from earnest, honest, authentic, sincere 
counsel. Or 27 verse 17. You know this verse probably. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So one woman sharpens another. Now we would quote that verse as talking about accountability. I think that's right. But I think really what Solomon is talking about is that a friend prepares you for the ups and downs of life and helps you navigate your life in a wise, Jesus-honoring manner. There are times where your friend needs to encourage you and exhort you and refresh you. There are other times where your friend needs to rebuke you and confront you. If you are the type of person that's only always ever giving encouragement, that's not being sincere. If you're the type of person who is always only ever giving confrontation and rebuke, that's not being sincere. Sometimes Nathan Milliken needs to be confronted and rebuked. But there's other times I need to be refreshed and encouraged and exhorted. A friend is someone who is reassuring and encouraging as well as challenging. And they balance rebuke and encouragement. They balance rebuke and encouragement. And God, in his kindness and in his providence, has given us the gift of friends to help us at times cut through all the pretense and say, that's not right, or this is, let's get after it together. God's committed to us more and more, Romans 8, 29, being conformed to the image of Jesus. He wants us more and more every day to look more, think more, act more, speak more, post more like Jesus would. Not in a jerk-like fashion. God's not some cosmic killjoy, some cosmic jerk. He's gracious and kind, but he will give us a rebuke when needed and give us encouragement when needed. And in the same way, we're to do that with one another in our friendships. Now, personally, I think this is on the screen. When I read this from John 8 and John 15 and Proverbs, I find the characteristics of friendships uh, crushing. Because I am not this type of friend often. And I don't look for this often in my friendship. The profile is crushing. So what do we do? How, how, do we, how do we do friendship like this? Because again, as I said in the beginning of the sermon, this is not just a message on, hey, I want you to take two steps in this direction and be a better friend, though that's true. But we need power. We need to be empowered and equipped on how to do friendship. And it comes back to Jesus. Jesus says in John 15, verses 12 through 17, he's desperately trying to convey to his disciples the night before he was to be crucified what he was about to do. And he says to this room of people, I'm laying down my life for my, for my friends. If you go back to the book of Genesis, the Bible says that Adam walked with God. I've mentioned this before. The word walked is a Hebrew word, a Hebrew metaphor that means that friendship, Adam walked with God, means that Adam was a friend of God and God was a friend to Adam. And yet they chose to not believe in God's promises, impugn his character, not believe that he was good. And so in many ways, when Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17, it's as if our lens of the Bible can be viewed through the lens of friendship. Man is trying to, a woman is trying to enter back into a right relationship, friendship with God. And God in his kindness has provided a way in which we can no longer be called an enemy, but a, but a friend. Jesus is that friend. In fact, the, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, 
he is a great high priest. We do not have a high priest, the writer of Hebrews says. We do not have a high priest who is not able to sympathize with us. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. He uses a double negative. He uses a negative twice to make this assertion, to make this truth um, unbelievably apparent. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. So here, let me just give you an example of what that means. Let's just pretend you invite me to dinner, and I, I would like for you to invite me to dinner. And I, I like steak. Um, I, I like uh, fillets, um, a nice petite fillet, medium, medium plus maybe. I like mashed potatoes. Uh, we make mashed potatoes in our house with heavy whipping cream, so if you're on a diet, uh, don't eat our mashed potatoes because they go right to your ankles. And so we, we like mashed potatoes. I like asparagus with a little a bit of salami wrapped around it in the oven. It's crispy. It's so good. And Brussels sprouts. Our kids like Brussels sprouts because we put bacon all over our Brussels sprouts. So, so invite me to dinner. I'd love to come. And if you say, hey, are you going to come? I say, I'm going to be there. I'm coming to your house. But if I say, there is no way I'm never not going to be there, you think, Nate's going to be there. Nate's going to be at my house for the filet mashed potatoes and asparagus and Brussels sprouts. What's the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying this. We do not have a high priest. We do not have a king. We do not have a savior. We do not have a lord of the universe. We do not have a master. We do not have a boss. We do not have a friend who is unable to sympathize with you. Jesus knew hunger and fatigue and homelessness, but he also knew betrayal and rejection and misunderstanding from his family and his friends from me. There are times where I misunderstand Jesus. There are times where I turn my back on Jesus. There are times where I don't believe Jesus. There are times where I don't pursue Jesus, but I pursue other things. And Jesus stands there waiting right there because he's this faithful, steadfast, king, savior, Lord, master, boss, Friend to me. And God wants you to have a deep, fulfilling, abiding, intimate friendship with him. Jesus was the one who was careful with our souls. Jesus is the one who was not condemning but loving. Jesus is the one who is not insincere but sincere and tells us what we need to hear. Jesus is the one who loves us incessantly and will never leave us, abandon us. And a lot of you know Jesus. There are some in this room who only think of Jesus as this one who wants to constantly micromanage our life as not for our good and not for our joy, and that's not Jesus. Jesus is for us. He is for our good. He is for our joy. And the Bible says that he is called a friend to sinners. He's your friend. He's my friend. I talk to him all the time. I'm grateful for him. I love him. I want to know him more. I'm so grateful that Jesus is careful, not condemning. He's loving. He's consistent. He is candid with me. And I'm growing in my understanding of who Jesus is as a friend, as a priest, as my intermediator, as my mediator before the Father, as my Lord and Master, but as my friend. And some of you are not believers, and you need to come to understand that Jesus, yes, is the King of the universe, but he wants to be your friend. 
He wants you to know Him in an intimate fashion. And for a lot of believers in the room, you need to understand that you cannot be the friend to your spouse, to your kids, to your grandkids, to your co-workers, to your neighbors, to the people that you go to JC with, to the people that you do recreation with. You cannot be the friend that God wants you to be and has called you to be apart from leaning into and being a friend with Jesus. He is the one who empowers us to be careful, to be candid, to be sincere, to be loving, to not be condemning. So it always, 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 always comes back to who? It always comes back to Jesus, the one who laid down his life for his friends for many purposes, but one of which is so that we might be friends with each other. Because apart from him, we can't do it. Apart from him, we can't do it.